Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. How, ooh, got a noise there. We can turn that off. You got a tweet? I got a tweet. Yeah. All right. So, what's going on? Not much, you know, just uh, plugging away at work, improving people's lives one by one, same as you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it does feel nice to work in an industry where people are better off than when they were dealing with you. They leave better off. Hopefully. Hopefully, but at least with some positivity to it, you know, with the hope of being better. I like that. Nice. Yeah, you know, I was actually thinking the other day about the direction of this podcast and I think we should broaden it a little bit. Talk to me. Like I think we should like stick with, you know, the health stuff, but I think we should broaden it a little bit to be like the old guard of being able to trust your doctor, being able to trust just trust authority is just really blindly breaking down. Right. Like trusting what you hear. Like that's breaking down. Thank God. And so people need the tools to evaluate life, to evaluate stuff that's happening in a way that's going to be okay for them. Right. Basically what I'm saying is people are more and more on their own and in their own community and among their friends and and what they can find for themselves. Trusting the tribe rather than whoever is this perceived authority. And, and, just, and just trusting your own research, you know? And there's more of it readily available too. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's not like way back when where it's like you have to go to a library and read up the, you know, Britannica to try and find something out. Completely. And that's one of the things about working in the store. You see so many people that come in that go, my neighbor's using this and it's worked great for them. Not a doctor, not some professional, their neighbor, you know, and then they use it and it's a grassroots issue and then it grows and that's, it's really turning into a, a, a brush fire. Yeah. Well, anyway, the reason I do that is I might have an interview lined up, uh, but it's on like empathy-based listening or something like that. So it's kind of outside our purview. Okay. But it'd be a really cool interview. So I might just throw it in there anyway. I think lifestyle stuff is great. Yeah. Okay. So you said you had a story. Well, it was more of, you know, I, I had a customer come in today and he was at the CBD counter because he had heard CBD like everyone else is great for this, mm. that, and the other. And I was like, well, what is it for? He's like, well, it's actually for my five-year-old. And I was like, well, that's skewing a little bit younger than normally people are coming risky. in. But, uh, well, yeah, and I don't even know if it's risky because th th that hasn't Not been... in the health sense, but in the uh, risky to be talking to someone who's potentially Socially giving risky. CBD to their five-year-old, like, right. you know, blowback, that kind of thing. Completely. And you don't all... I mean, it's like what led them to that point. So... The whole crux of it being that he, his child was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. Ooh, five years old? Five. Uh. On May 28th, they had to put him in for emergency surgery because he brought him in for a CAT scan. They'd found out that the, the, the guys came out of there. And normally, you know, have to wait a couple days to get the results on that yeah. sort of thing. They're like, your son needs to go into emer emergency surgery right now. So they took him to Children's. And they performed emergency surgery to remove the fluid around his heart. So all wow. of this fluid had built up around his heart, around his major organs, and he was going into shutdown, like right in real time. Wow. At five years old. 
And so they perform the surgery. They put a tap on the heart to relieve or relieve the, uh, the, the fluid to get rid of the pressure. Mm-hmm. And he coded. He died on the table. And then they brought him back, but he coded four times. Oh, my goodness. They couldn't. They didn't think they were going to be hold, able to hold on to him. He survived. And this is just a couple weeks ago. And um, so he was there because they've got him on. Here's the deal. The doctors said, you need to have this kid on chemo. He's got a rare, rare, rare cancer. There's a tumor actually on his heart, which how many times have you heard about having a tumor on your heart? Not much. It doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, that's rare. So the doctor's saying, oh, this is unbelievable. This is so rare, da, 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 da. And he goes, okay, well, we want to explore our options outside of the hospital and look at some natural things. And they go, oh, no, you're not taking your son out of here. They threatened him with court order oh. if they didn't let him, let the hospital perform, uh, do the chemo. Yeah, I've heard of that happening. So they basically forced him into chemo or he his son would be removed from him. They'd give him the chemo. No options whatsoever. Yep. Which to me is very troubling in a free society to not be able to i mean how helpless totally. with your own child oh my so gosh so i was like what he, and he just held it together he's like what am i going to do blow up and lose it and then cause this issue with my 5 year old son who's always already going through all this other stuff so long of the short is that he he did have the chemo the the tumors are shrinking he was in to get cbd so the child could have um the he'd actually been taking some cbd and it helped with his diet or with his um oh what's it called anxiety or no uh your appetite your appetite oh appetite how did i lose appetite um but so he had no appetite obviously as a result of the Uh the the cams so that makes sense and it had really been helping him eat but what I'm trying to say is five years old, having a tumor on your heart, all the things that we have to deal with day in and day out that we think are these major inconveniences that really aren't that big of a deal at the end of it. It's not a tumor yeah. on your heart. You're not being forced to take chemo. For your kid. For your kid. So just be appreciative of what you do have. Focus on the healthy aspects of your life and try to spill that over into the less healthy aspects of it. Hmm. But it's more about just being appreciative and having that appreciation because I do think it goes a long way. And that immediately, I, I, my heart broke for this guy, but I was so appreciative to have a child that didn't go through that. Oh, I bet. That I didn't go through that. Yeah. That my family members are not going through that. And I just I just wanted to reiterate that. that we're, we're talking about health here. We're talking about all these different things. Sometimes there's some scary aspects to that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have the goal of wanting to have better health improved health for us and for everyone who's listening so just be appreciative of what you do have because it could always be a lot worse yeah man what a what a gripping story i mean what do you say about that i know i was so frustrated and and for him you know and he was so even keel and cool about it even though you could tell underneath he was dealing with a lot i mean i imagine him going through that like your time horizon shrinks substantially you know all your plans about the future everything i mean you're 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 focusing on 15 minutes that's it that's it so yeah i'm glad and that will remind me every 15 minutes to just appreciate what i have yeah well so uh, that's not meant to be a downer it's meant to be the opposite of that so i I feel (laughs) ecstatic 
<laughs> so All right. Now after good, that, that great story on to weight loss, part four. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Not a great transition, but... But, well, mine's kind of serious too, I guess. So. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do weight loss part four. Love it. Yeah. So I argued with myself a little bit on whether I wanted to do this episode or not. And I kind of came down on the side of you should. Um, see, I think weight loss, any weight loss series should have an episode like this. You know, if it didn't, I would say it was incomplete. Um, and I really want to give our listeners the truth to the best of my ability. Uh, but I also want to keep things positive. And this is going to be another one of those avoid this bad thing episode. And, you know, you can only do so many of those without kind of dragging things down. I hear you, but it's also important to know to be aware. It is very important. And there's some controversy around the subject too. So just be forewarned. There's people who disagree with this, but we're going to go for it. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start with the technical part. We're going to be talking about fats. So I need you, Brian, to tell me if I'm making sense because this is a little technical. I will try. So I want to start with the different types of fats out there. And there are three types of fats that we're going to go over today. Saturated fatty acids, SFA, monounsaturated fatty acids, or MUFA, and polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFA. Hmm. Oh. Now, whether something is saturated or not has to do with how many hydrogen atoms are connected to the carbon atoms. So fat's basically just carbon and hydrogen bound together in countless different variations. A saturated fatty acid has four hydrogen atoms connected to each of its carbon atoms, which is the max that you can have for each carbon atom. That's why it's called saturated. Ah, that's why. So yes, it's completely saturated with hydrogen. An unsaturated fatty acid, on the other hand, has a carbon double bond. And so it has more room where hydrogen could fit. And the difference between monounsaturated and polyunsaturated has to do with how much room there is available for hydrogen. So remember, saturated or unsaturated, it just describes the amount of hydrogen atoms in the fat. So do you want more hydrogen in your fat or less hydrogen? That's what we're going to get to, baby. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. So to complicate things further, fats can have different amounts of carbon chains, which changes their properties. So you want to kind of think of it like Legos. If you have six saturated Legos stuck together, meaning six carbons, Mm -hmm. that fat is called caprylic acid. If you have 18 of those saturated Legos stuck together, that would be called steric acid. On the unsaturated side, if you have 18 unsaturated Legos stuck together, that's called oleic acid. And there are many of these different types of fats given the amount of hydrogen, I'm sorry, given the amount of carbon Legos stuck together. And we, we group these carbon Legos into three categories. Okay. Short chain fatty acids, medium chain and long chain fatty acids. Mm. So to bring it all together, you have sat, you can have saturated short chain fatty acids. You can have unsaturated long chain fatty acids. And this describes the amount of hydrogen stuck to each carbon. And then how many, how long those carbon chains run. So the fun part is that all of these variations affect your body differently. They're absorbed differently. Uh, they use, they're used in different places in your body for different things. Uh, and your body's using them all the time to you know, make structural material or for energy or to make cells. So it's cool. It's complicated. You, know, you can kind of geek out on it if you want. <laughs> um, but but does, that, does that make sense? It does. And especially that you used Legos. Yes. Lucas always had a way of explaining things so I could understand them. (laughs) (laughs) I do appreciate that. Okay. I'm getting it. All right. Cool. Cool. So now we're kind of done with the technical part. Thank God. But in nature, 
these different types of fatty acids, they're found in different places and habitats. So saturated fats, they tend to be found in more tropical places. They tend to be more resilient to oxidation or rancidity, and they tend to harden when they get cold. Polyunsaturated fats, they are found in colder places around the world. They get rancid very easily, and they tend to be liquid at cold temperatures. Mm. So if you're a fish, let's say you're a cod, and you're up in the Norway region swimming around, and if you were to have saturated fat within your body, it would quickly harden and your fish life would be over. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> no. But if you have polyunsaturated fat in your body, it stays liquid at cooler temperatures, so it can be used for all the different functions that, that are needed to make your little fish body run. Mm. Um, alternatively, say you're in the tropics, it's very warm and sunny, so it's warm enough that all the fats, they're going to be liquid anyways, but unsaturated fats are going to be rancid and they're going to oxidize oxidize relatively quickly mm, okay. so you can kind of see there's a habitat where certain fats thrive or right. are found yeah and rancidification is important uh, when something goes rancid it means that the fat has been broken down usually by bacteria and during this process there's byproducts that are created like aldehydes and they tend to be really really not good for you yeah it becomes a carcinogen at that at that point doesn't yeah it and, and that's why they smell bad it's it's basically your nose telling you like not good for you avoid 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 right. that's what when it gets rancid now saturated fats they're going to be more stable in heat and less prone to breakdown so a good example of this is butter versus coconut oil uh, you can leave butter out on your counter for a while right, right. but but eventually you'd want to put it in the fridge or it's going to go bad coconut oil on the other hand it's got a lot more saturated fat it's not going to go rancid as easily and you can leave that on on your counter forever yeah right it's it's never going to go bad like peanut butter yeah that's actually interesting we're going to talk about oh peanut butter and stuff. no spoilers yes so here's how the fats rank according to saturation the most saturated fat is coconut oil and then comes palm oil, then butter, tallow, and lard. After that, you start to get into monounsaturated fats. So these would be like macadamia nut oil, olive oil, avocado oil. Mm. And then you get into polyunsaturated fats, which is a lot of other ones. So uh, seed and nut oils, so like safflower and sunflower, uh, flaxseed, almond, peanut, sesame. Uh, you also get corn oil, soybean, canola, uh, really, any of the grain oils, basically all the grains, all the vegetables, all the fish, fish, most nuts, and some fruits are polyunsaturated fats. Okay. Now, when I say that, you know, they're this fat or that fat, you have to understand each one of these fats, they're a mixture of all the three types of oil. So if you look at 100 grams of coconut oil, 91 grams are going to be saturated fat, 6 grams are going to be un monounsaturated, and 3 grams are going to be polyunsaturated. So... Of all these, you know, all these oils are going to be a blend, but when I put them in a certain category, what I'm saying is the majority of the oils or the, the majority of those fatty acids fall into one of those categories. So like even a really unsaturated seed oil is still going to have some saturated fat in it. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now, what does all this have to do with weight loss, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Certain fats are more supportive of your metabolism than others. So remember from the first weight loss segment, we're looking to have your body feel safe and secure, right? So that it can let go of the weight. 
inflammation and oxidative stress are by definition breaking your body down and you need a little bit of these to fight infection you know maybe some wound healing etc uh, but when you get too much of these things you can get into trouble so I'll, I'll bottom line this all for you please when you cook and eat polyunsaturated fats you increase inflammation and you decrease your metabolism that is a bad thing well, can be we'll see it okay. gets a little gets a little wonky really yeah so uh, just to kind of show you an example of this, Professor Grootveld of De Montfort University of Leicester. He's good. Yeah, he sounds great. Uh, he's done a series of experiments comparing cooking with polyunsaturated fat versus more saturated ones. So he's a professor of bioanalytical chemistry and chemical pathology. And here's a quote from him. People have... No, I'm not going to read in that next. <laughs> I was just kidding. Uh, people have been telling us how healthy polyunsaturates are in corn oil and sunflower oil. But when you start messing around with them, subjecting them to high amounts of energy in the frying pan or the oven, they undergo a complex series of chemical reactions, which results in the accumulation of large amounts of toxic compounds. So his research has found that in a typical meal of fish and chips, fried in vegetable oil, like you might get at a pub, there are as much as 100 to 200 times more toxic aldehydes than the safe daily limit set by the World Health Organization. 200 times? 200. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And these toxic compounds, they all go down as you get more and more saturated fats that you use. So butter and lard and olive oil, they have lower amounts of these baddies if you fry with those. And then coconut oil has the least amount of aldehydes of any of the tested fats. I would cook with coconut oil all the time. Sure. But everything tastes like coconut when you do. It's true. Yeah. So the professor, he finishes up by saying, uh, this major problem has received scant or limited attention from the food industry and health researchers. Evidence of high levels of toxicity from heating oils have been available for many years. Health concerns linked to the toxic byproducts include health disease, cancer, malformations during pregnancy, inflammation, risk of ulcers, and a rise in blood pressure. In increased fat, I would imagine, as well. No? Sometimes. Okay. That's a little tricky, too. Okay. So, at the moment, these types of oils, they're used in most restaurants, right? This is most prepared in fried foods. They're, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. And the question is, how did we get to this point where all of these fats are in everything we eat? And that's an interesting journey that we're going to go on. Let's go. So, way back, 1929, George and Mildred Burr published a study claiming that polyunsaturated fats were essential nutrients. I'm sure you've heard the term essential fatty acids. Yeah, it's fat-shaming acids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So this comes, this comes from them. This comes from their study. And what they did is they tested two groups of rats. They had one group on a fat-free diet and the other on a diet full of polyunsaturated fats. And the rats on the PUFA did way better while the fat-free rats suffered from these deficiency diseases. So they thought, okay, these are required. Wow. Well, 10 years later, the Clayton Foundation Biochemical Institute found that the diseases these rats were suffering from were actually a form of vitamin B6 deficiency. So at the time when the, burn, the burrs did the original research, vitamin B6 hadn't been discovered. So they didn't know. That and, they were even deficient. Yeah, and the reason the rats on the PUFA diet did better than the fat-free rats is because the PUFA slowed down their metabolism and with a slower metabolism, you need less nutrients. So, like B vitamins. So, so basically, the birds fed two groups of rat a diet deficient in B6, and the ones who got the PUFA had their metabolism pushed down, and they needed less B vitamins 
which they were deficient in. Okay. And so they were healthier. So that's not a bad thing then. So what I said before was contradictory to what you were. So in this case, if you are not getting enough nutrients, PUFA will make you healthier by slowing your metabolism down. Interesting. Yes. Wow. It is interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. So you see, it's really, really well established, like really well established that PUFA slows your metabolism down and saturated fats increase your metabolism. If you ask the livestock farmers, uh, they'll tell you the same thing. So in 1940s, in order to revive the coconut oil trade from the Philippines, you know, the trade was disrupted by the war. Um, it was decided that coconut oil would be used to fatten pigs up. So before the war, coconut oil, it was used all across America for frying and baking and, you know, popcorn and movies, that kind of thing. But the war, it disrupted the importation of coconut oil into the country. So after the war, Americans, they're not used to coconut oil anymore. And so the importers, they need a market to like get back into the country, right? Of course. So they start giving it to pigs. And what they found was it was horrible for fattening them up. The pigs, they just got energetic, they got lean, and they got super hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so when they switched back to corn and other grains, the pigs, they started to fatten up, you know, and slow down. Slow down. So at the moment, if you're eating a PUFA-rich diet, heavy on corn and grains, you're eating the exact same diet that farmers are feeding livestock to fatten them up. How apropos. Yes. And take a look down at the supermarket at Packaged Foods. You will find lots of corn and lots of PUFA. Wow. Yeah. Polyunsaturated fats, right? Polyunsaturated. That's, that's what it stands. Okay. Yep. I was just reiterating. Yep. Yeah. The question is, though, how do we get to this point? So how do we get PUFA in all of our food? Well, that starts in the 1800s with cotton. You see, there's this very smart thing you do with natural resources and manufacturing, and that is turning your waste products into actual products. I think the best example of this is John D. Rockefeller. Most people don't know, but old John D., he's probably the one who saved the whales. What? I know, right? He's he's demonized for many things, but <laughs> he became so good at creating products out of the byproducts of oil production that one of those creations drove whale oil out of the market, basically. So whale oil was used for lighting, and John D. he made kerosene so cheaply that it drove the price of kerosene from 30 cents a gallon to 6 cents a gallon and made using whale oil uneconomic. Wow, good for him. I know. It's kind of a kind of a crazy little fact that most people don't know that's great so yeah the the whaling fleets dropped dramatically and if you think about it 30 cents to six cents it's a massive drop can you imagine today if gas went from three dollars a gallon down to 60 cents a gallon oh gosh and that'd be ridiculous so anyway back to cotton back to cotton when you produce cotton you get all of these seeds right and most are useless as you need just a small percentage of them to really plant the next crop so enter proctor and gamble i can't remember their first names but two dudes right and they're big cotton manufacturers so they have all of these waste seeds and they're trying to think of a way to make these profitable so they press them into oil and it's kind of this yellowish liquid. They find different uses for it. So they add it to olive oil to kind of lower the cost of olive oil. They did that so much that Europeans refused to import olive oil from America. <laughs> but anyway, that's besides the point. They use it in soap, that, you know, that kind of thing. But eventually what they did is they made this discovery that would totally change the American kitchen for decades. And they figured out that if they hydrogenate cottonseed oil, it turns into this whitish oil that looks a lot like lard. Oh, boy. And remember, polyunsaturated fats, they have open spaces on their carbon atoms for hydrogen. So the process of hydrogenation, it forces hydrogen into those slots, making it more saturated. But it also makes it a trans fat. That's what hydrogenation does. 
trans fat, they don't exist in nature. You know, they're, and they're kind of terrible for you. you. You've heard of trans fats, right? I have. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's heard of trans fat. Whenever you say trans fat, I just think skull and crossbones. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they did this and they called this new lard like cottonseed oil, Crisco, which stands for crystallized cottonseed oil. And they ran one of the best marketing campaigns ever. In 1911, they released a great recipe book. Every recipe in there uses Crisco. And over time, Crisco replaced lard and other more (laughs) saturated fats. Oh, my gosh. I know. Now, is Crisco good for you? Is it bad for you? At the time, they don't know. They're just, you know, it's the early 1900s. We're just just doing what we're going to do. I'm just glad my grandmother's not around to hear this because the can of Crisco in her cupboard was legendary. She yeah. would just scoop out a scoop of that and slam it in the pan. Yep. My grandfather had five bypasses, so I... <laughs> <laughs> Probably no connection. <laughs> no connection. Yep. Okay. I so, digress. In 1924, the American Heart Association is born, and basically a, they're, they're a collection of heart specialists who meet now and then, and they talk shop. It's, it's nothing big. But in 1948, they get a massive $1.5 million donation, putting them on the map from... Do you know who? I give up. Procter and Gamble. Oh, those wily jerks. You see kind of where we're starting to go with this? So in 1961, the American Heart Association advises the public to eat less saturated fats and cholesterol and more vegetable oils. And these same guidelines carry over in 1977 to the dietary guidelines for Americans. So yes, the American Heart Association used their considerable marketing power to try and get us to eat hydrogenated trans cottonseed oil over the lard that everyone else that everyone had been using for you know thousands of years or whatnot insidious yes thankfully in the 1990s evidence began to kind of mount against these vegetable oils trans fat in particular your risk for heart disease doubles for every two percent increase in trans fat calories so to give you an idea if you're eating a 2000 calorie diet that means 20 calories is one percent so every 40 calories you ate of trans fats your heart attack risk doubled my goodness <laughs> isn't that ridiculous oh. so in 2013 par- partially hydrogenated fats were taken off the generally accepted as safe list by the fda so they are not considered so we don't have we don't have to deal with those anymore they are no longer grass i'd like to see the heart attack numbers since that came off the list it would be interesting but it's just you know it's only six years so right it's just not enough time but, you know, the, the American Heart Association, they're basically guilty of telling people to eat poison for decades, which is insane. As long as you're washing it down with cigarettes, it's okay. <laughs> I won't even touch those guys. So the story is kind of indicative of how oils came to dominate our food chain. There's, there is kind of a similar story behind canola oil, which comes from rapeseed, which was used in the production of mustard gas. Uh, years of genetic engineering really finally produced a rapeseed that you know didn't have these tor- terrible toxic components and it was marketed as canola oil nutritious and cheaper alternative <laughs> to olive oil um, it's the same story for all these oils so like linseed or flax oil they were used in paints but they came up with better alternatives um, from petroleum and so they had to find a new usage there corn and soy bean oil they're byproducts of farming so all these oils are basically waste or byproducts that are looking for a profitable usage but they're not the tried and true lard butter olive oil you know that have been with us for thousands of years yeah or whatnot the staples so with all this you know what do we do what what's the bottom line the basic way to think about this is saturated fat increases metabolism 
monounsaturated fat is neutral and polyunsaturated fat decreases it. So personally, knowing all this, I only use like certain oils in my kitchen. I use olive oil and butter. Basically, that's really it. I think coconut oil and macadamia nut oil are Mm. also good. And then avocado oil is kind of a distant last resort. It's not it's not the worst but it's like i don't know if you have olive oil why would you use it right um lard is also an option however it comes from pigs so it's a little suspect because what they're feeding pigs they're giving them a crap ton of grain and poofa so their tissues become highly unsaturated and so the lard from them is actually also unsaturated not to mention other genetic materials that could be in there who knows yeah who knows cows and lambs are different in that they have this special ability of turning unsaturated fats into saturated fats this is actually really cool Uh, usually the fat makeup of an animal is what they eat same for us our fat makeup is what we eat but cows and lambs they have this unique ability to turn the unsaturated fats they get out of grass or grains or whatever into saturated fats that's a nice trick i know it's pretty pretty cool now for the controversy part there is something called the israeli paradox and the israelis eat a ton of pufa and yet have low levels of diseases that pufa should give them like heart disease and diabetes and you remember the Burr experiment with the mice and the, the B6 and stuff? I do. So in that diet, deficient in nutrients for those mice, the ones that had PUFA, it was healthier for them. So the faster your metabolism, the more you burn through nutrients. And this is what a lot of studies show, actually. An introduction of PUFA can have health benefits in the short term. So because the Israelis have more of an active lifestyle and we're eating more foods, that's why? I don't know. I don't know why there's the Israeli paradox. That's why it's called a, a paradox. It could be. It could be a bunch of things. I don't know. We're just. You're just looking at like. Let's figure it out levels. right now. Let's okay. just go ahead and okay. dig into. <laughs> yeah, Israeli. What? What? The life of an Israeli. I wake up. What happens? Let's get him on the phone. <laughs> so if you switch from like a heavy puva diet to a saturated one, you could have serious deficiencies in your metabolism. You know, if it starts revving up and stuff. So. It's not as simple as just eating a bunch of saturated fats and ditching the PUFA, especially if you've been eating PUFA for a while. And not only that, there's some people whose genetics predetermine them to weight gain from saturated fats. So uh, you can actually get that checked. Uh, I think it's 23andMe. They, uh, some other genetic testing sites will look at that. Okay. So I think now that you know all this about PUFA and saturated fat, I think the best, I think it's best to move slowly. So Americans, they ate Crisco for decades and, you know, they didn't have the same problems with obesity and heart disease that we have today. And our our systems do, you know, in our bodies, they do have ways to deal with PUFA and recidity. So if we have, you know, we have vitamin E, we have antioxidants, there's a liver that helps clear up these assailants. I think a great thing you can do, though, is type your diet, you know, for a day into a website like Chronometer, okay. which tells you the amount of PUFA you're getting. So if you're getting under 10 grams you're doing really great compared to most Americans. And when it's maybe when it starts to get up to like 20 or 30 grams, you might start to run into issues. I personally find that when I get like into the teens on grams of PUFA, I start to get really depressed. And I just have this like sinking down feeling. So you keep track of them? I have before I've looked like I really avoid fried food at restaurants for this reasons, but I can do fried chips and olive oil or coconut oil just fine. Completely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just my personal experience. Something you might have to well, I wonder being test out. largely plant based, how much exposure I'm having to poofas on a regular basis as well. It'd be mean, good to know. Yeah, yeah, you could you could check it out for sure. I'll start keeping track. You really just need to put 
one or two days in there and you get a good idea. Okay. You get a good idea what foods do what. So just don't stress yourself out over it, I think. You know, make the transition over time. If you do eat a high poof a meal at like a restaurant or you have some fish and chips at a pub, you know, you can take some vitamin E to counteract a lot of the damage it might cause. And as a side note, interestingly, like in nuts, which are really high in PUFA, there's also a high amount of vitamin E, which counteracts the PUFA. So interesting. It, it is interesting when nature kind of puts the poison and the, the cure together in, in one package. So I'm going to link some great articles on PUFA consumption showing it's rising over time in America. Uh, you know, more details on the stories I mentioned. I'm also going to post articles on all the diseases that PUFA has been linked to if you really want to horrify yourself. So... But it's good, like you said, just to be aware. I mean, yeah. But since there's no conclusive answer to what's best for what situation, it seems like every every situation is different. It is a little different. It's just you should just know this information. You right. should just know this information, and it's it's worse at the extremes. I think. So I think you can run into trouble if you go low really really low PUFA like if you do under four grams or three grams or two grams I think you can have you can have some problems although some people do that if they have health issues some people try that as part of, and, and there's been good results with it so it's not necessarily a bad thing but I think if all you're eating is packaged foods and there are people out there who do this they only eat from restaurants and they only eat packaged foods and if you're doing that and you're getting 50 grams of PUFA a day or or above like that's not bueno. No, it's not bueno. It's just constantly hammering your metabolism. It's constantly hammering your vitamin E stores, your antioxidants, all of that stuff. And I think that's when your health really takes a crash. So it's like the old adage, any too much of anything is going to be an issue most likely. Yeah. And it's helpful to know what that means. Right. What too much and not enough means. Which is why the Clayton study was so interesting too, because of the rats that had their metabolism go down and it was actually beneficial in that situation. It was beneficial. They weren't getting enough nutrients. Yeah. I so mean, in prison, this might be a good thing. Oh, prisoners are getting lots of this stuff. It's pure <laughs> poofa. Oh yeah. Their meals they eat are just terrible, man. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's awful. I, I don't know. And I hope never to know. I don't know either, but I look into these things because I'm curious. Of course. <laughs> but that seems like a situation where it might be. Yeah. They don't have as much energy that they're expelling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, give it a give it a try. See, we see what We could talk happens. about polyunsaturated fats all day long uh, in accordance with the prison system. But I think... I think we're going to let it go. <laughs> there are some, some internet gurus out there who would tell you that, you know, this is... This is the, the worst thing ever and you should avoid it at all costs. But... I don't know if they're right. Who Even knows? Even worse than the trans? Well, yeah. The trans is like... I guess I should clarify that. So the trans is all bad all the time. We don't want that at all. But outside of the trans, there's polyunsaturated fats that are not trans, that have not been hydrogenated. Right. You know, like from seeds and stuff like that. And so on that, those are probably bad most of the time, but maybe a little bit here and there can help. And it's no wonder that when people take polyunsaturates sometimes they feel better for a while interesting because they have less demand on on their systems from nutrient standpoint there's so much more to fats than you would ever even begin to think was out there so. yeah so anyway announcement wise we i'm really close to having the website up and ready so beauty yeah that should be up here in the next next few days uh, we'll announce it next week that's going to be fun it's going to have 
uh, our, all our recommended stuff that we've ever talked about in one page. It's going to have all the notes in one page that'll be easy to look look at. So I'm excited about that. I can't wait to see this. I know. It's going to be exciting. cool. Is it going to have pictures of us up there? I don't know. I was thinking about that. Do we want to put a little bio or remain mysterious? Maybe give them a little teaser. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I don't know. Just us like an, with a bandana that covers everything up to our eyes. Yeah, that couldn't be misconstrued <laughs> at all. Maybe just well, like just, an earlobe. or also the, Makes it harder for the pharmaceutical companies to find us. Um, but no, yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Good news. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, this has been a great one, and I, I, I love expanding on the weight loss, too. Yeah. Does it make sense? Did I... Did I it does really explain everything. Yeah. How, I mean, is there a conclusive, like, I, I know that we know trans are bad, but like, yeah. as far as weight loss is concerned, is there any answer that we can have as far as fats go in general or a, a golden rule? So remember the pigs, they're trying to fatten pigs up. They give them coconut oil and they get hungry, lean and energetic. Right. So just remember there that there's, that's your answer, that's it. but it's not as simple as just eat a bunch of saturated fats, stop eating PUFA because saturated fats can run you into trouble there right. are there are definitely studies showing that that they can and some people gain weight on saturated fats so it's finding the balance it's just finding what's right for you okay yeah awesome. trying things out cool thank you for explaining that all right thanks a lot everyone thanks guys be well mm-hmm.